Good morning and welcome to Sport and Life with Sam Kekovich and Leon Wigard with the compliments of Mitchell and Wine. Sam, how are you? I'm outstanding, Leon, and uh, what a beautiful day. It is. The it's yellow orbs shining through the uh, crystal clear. Are they stratorous or cumulus? Uh, yeah, well, they expected rain this afternoon, so the, whatever brings the rain. Well, no, they're not the nimbi clouds, no. The nimbus are rain-bearing clouds, Leon. I knew that from uh, my first uh, geography teacher. Yeah, uh, taught me that. But we've got a very, very special guest. Uh, well, you were away for a few days I in was Queensland. Lucky. I was in Queensland at a uh, function which we spoke at, and our keynote speaker was uh, one of those uh, most riveting that I'd, I'd been uh, involved in for a long, long time. I was nailed in my seat and uh, you could have heard a pin drop. We're referring to uh, Craig Challen, who was one of those great Australians, two of them, (coughs) that were the cave divers that went to Thailand and got all those kids out. How many years ago was that, uh, as we say good morning to Craig Challen? Uh, It was uh, 14, uh, 19, it was 2019, but it had all the elements of a human disaster of monumental proportions, but transformed into one of the great rescues of all time, when 12 kids and the coach were extracted, uh, and as you mentioned rightfully, our special guest Craig Challen had a, uh, a very prominent role, and he was uh, seconded into, uh, along with his uh, partner, uh, a friend of his, uh, Craig Harris, no, uh, Richard Harris, who was an anaesthetist. They came up with the uh, with the idea that to anaesthetise the kids and to bring them out gradually, but it was just. Look, we've read about it. There's been, uh, look, I said to uh, Craig before we introduce him, there are moments in time we can all relate to JFK's uh, death, uh, other uh, significant parts in history that come to mind, uh, and this is one of them that, uh, you know, did documentaries and uh, it'll always be in, ensconced in our minds. One of the truly great stories of the world to think that they all came out. Unfortunately, lost one Thai seal diver. But this guy was instrumental, and uh, as you rightfully alluded to, Leon, we've got him online. He was fortunate enough to well, say hello. Well, there's nothing more to say. It isn't. <laughs> <laughs> Craig, uh, good morning, and uh, thanks, mate. And I've thoroughly enjoyed your speech and your time up on the Gold Coast uh, a couple of days ago. Well, thanks very much, Sam, and good day, and uh, good day, Leon. It's uh, it's great to be with you. I have to start just by correcting uh, one small fact. It was 2018, so we just had the fifth anniversary a few days ago. And the other thing I want to let you know, I know you're a superstar, but I'm the star of this show, all right? So don't correct me in public, all right? <laughs> now, Craig, <laughs> Craig, uh, Craig, when did you first know that you are going to be involved with this uh, heroic event? Well, it came on pretty slowly. So when the news first broke that these boys were trapped in the cave and it it took ages for them to even be found. Um, So we're watching for the first nine days after they went missing and the story's gradually building and building. But, uh, of course, most of us and and most people around the world probably thinking that, you know, they they likely died when the the cave flooded, that they probably drowned. Um, And... As, as you know, the hours turned into days and uh, then it, it gradually rolled out to nine days. Um, I was pretty pessimistic about actually finding them alive. Um, so I didn't really expect there to be a rescue, but uh, after they were found um, and located and uh, we knew they were on borrowed time, they couldn't stay in there for too long. So it became apparent that there, there would have to be a rescue. And uh, cave diving wasn't the only idea around, but uh, it became more and more obvious that that was probably the way that they were going to come out. 
So uh, I and, and my buddy Richard, we didn't get up to Thailand until day 13 after the boys had uh, had gone missing. And at the last minute, that all happened pretty quickly. We just got a, a phone call from Emergency Management Australia in, in Canberra and they said uh, there's a flight leaving from Perth Airport in uh, about two and a half hours, so be there, which didn't give me a lot of time to pack. Did you take your own equipment or did they have it for you? Oh, somewhat. Uh, so some of the stuff we got over there, uh, um, mostly tanks and weights and that sort of thing, but the, 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 all the rest of the stuff we use, it's quite personalised. Uh, it's not just stuff that you buy off the shelf, so I uh, took most of it with me. Craig, the other thing is that, you know, honestly, you, could, you, you can't, you, you couldn't imagine all this, but... They didn't even know where they where the kids were because there was no uh, the, you know uh, there was no indication of what they did or where they went to until they found their bikes a day or so later or something didn't they? Yeah, that's right. They uh, they they hadn't told their mums where they were going, which was a bit naughty, and so nobody knew what was happening. You know, they they just thought it was Saturday Arvo and I uh, will get out of mum's hair and go off and have a bit of an adventure and what can possibly go wrong. But, of course, sometimes things can go wrong, and that's what happened this time. So, uh, yeah, it took a while for everybody to, to wake up to it, and it was only when the, the rangers from the National Park went down to have a bit of a look that uh, we all realised what was going on. Now, just quickly, Craig, now, there's you know, a lot of bizarre attempts to uh, extract them, and when they found out what actually where they were and what they did, you know, the locals, they tried to drill and they tried to do a host of things. Just uh, for our listeners' sake, uh, tell us exactly what happened to them and uh, how far in were they? Because cave diving as opposed to normal diving is two vastly different things. Yeah, well, uh, of course, when the boys went in, there was no diving involved because the, the cave was dry and uh, it's just walking passage, really. Any, anybody can do it, any moderately fit and healthy person uh, so they'd uh, they'd just ridden their bikes down to this cave and, and walked inside and we think they got about a kilometer and a half in and they were on their way back out again when the cave started flooding so they just came around a, a corner and where there was supposed to be dry passage <clears throat> there was water instead blocking their way and it's, it's a very quick thing when it, it happens every year this cave floods but uh <clears throat> it happened a bit early this year and nobody was really expecting it, so it caught them all by surprise. Um, so they just had to sit tight. There was uh, there was nothing they could do there. Um, and in fact, after they saw this water, the, the water's still rising as the cave floods, so they had to go further and further inside the cave to get away from it. And uh, they ended up 2.2 kilometres inside the cave, which is a, a fair way. Let's divert a minute uh, about you and Richard and your <coughs> record at this deep, uh, this uh, cave diving. Firstly, why cave diving when if you want to go around the Great Barrier Reef or any amount of other places, beautiful crystal clear water and most enjoyable, and yet you're going to be in, I guess, no, no view, no, no, what have you got, a, no, no vision at all or when you're down there in these caves? Oh, it de depends on the cave. I mean, there's lots of them that we have really clear water, much better in the ocean. You can see for, you know, dozens if not hundreds of metres. It just depends on the brightness of your light. So that's the ideal. But uh, quite often 
you will get a situation where you go into the cave um, and have pretty good vision and then while you're in there just the movement in the water as you swim stirs up the silt and you can come out with uh, with no vision or restricted vision and then sometimes you get situations like in Tarmuan Cave where the water's flowing through after it's all trickled down from the surface above and it's so full of silt and mud that you can really see nothing at all. So we had uh, only about 10 centimetres visibility. But uh, no, we like it if we can see. That's that's the easiest way. Um, but as far as why we do it, I mean, there's quite a few reasons. It's, uh, uh, you know, probably one of the main reasons is it's exploration. Um, caving's really about the only activity now where you can get to go somewhere that nobody's ever been before and, and seen something that's never been seen by human eyes. Uh, but it's also a, a technical challenge, uh, particularly our groups interested in deep cold water diving. That's the thing we do. And uh, so we're you know, pushing the edges of the physiological envelope a little bit sometimes. Uh, so we're quite quite interested in that. Um, and uh, apart from all that, it's just a bloody good adventure. <laughs> the record you set, the two of you, is something like 250 metres in New Zealand. I don't know whether that's a world record or a local record, but the pressures down there must be enormous. Yeah, that's right. Well, we don't really talk about uh, our records. It's, it's not regarded as very cool. It's uh, That's a bit naff, really. Everybody else wants to talk about big numbers. Um, but that's by no means a, uh, a a world record. The deepest cave dive that's been done is 286 metres at the moment. Um, but uh, we're gradually getting deeper and deeper, so we'll, we'll see how that goes before I'm too old for this stuff. And... Uh, um, yeah, it's not not really the the reason for uh, for doing this, but uh, yeah, that's just our little area of interest. It's a pretty small pond. There's not too too many competitors. Craig, yeah, you looked in great physical shape when I saw you there. Anyway, so you got a long, long time to go. Tell me uh, now, back to the specifics. Uh, how many days did it elapse to the uh, the kids actually got found, and then before you were called in to uh, embark on this rescue mission? What was the time frame? Yeah, so it was day nine when they were found. And, you know, just imagine what it was like for them uh, sitting there, not even knowing that anybody knew where they were. And, I mean, the hours just turn into days and gradually roll out to nine days. Um, They didn't have anything to eat while they were in there and uh, they're just drinking this this muddy water. But, um, you know, they must have had their moments where they thought, this is how it all ends. It's uh, it's all going to be over soon. Um, nobody's coming to get us. So they were they were pretty pleased when uh, when when somebody eventually rolled up. Um, and then everybody starts thinking about how they're actually going to extract them out of there. So uh, Richard and I, we rolled up from Australia on day 13 and uh, spent a day planning and checking out the cave and having a look at the boys. And then the, the rescue started on day 15, um, and that took place over three days. So it was day 17 once by the time they were all out, which is, uh, you know, 17 days, it's a long time to spend underground. I've never spent anything like that amount of time underground. I, uh, I quite, 
quite like being in caves, but that would be a bit too much for me, I reckon. Craig, uh, some of the bizarre plans that were uh, put on the table, I think Leo Musk came up with a submarine, did he not, or something of that ilk? Uh, yes, yeah, Elon had his little uh, little submarine there. It was uh, I, I didn't get to meet Elon, unfortunately. Um, I was diving in the cave at the time that he showed up, uh, so it would have been uh, good to say hello to him. Um, but yeah, it was. Uh, it seemed like a little bit far fetched that they had this, you know, an underwater submersible chamber, basically. And the idea was that we were just going. The divers were going to swim this thing into where the boys were, and uh, just pop one of the boys in and uh, put the lid back on and swim out with it again. <laughs> but uh, there, there were a few little problems with the submarine obviously it had been developed pretty quickly and so they hadn't put a, a life support system in to give them something to breathe and uh we were a bit worried that this thing wouldn't be able to actually sink because it's it's really light it's made for going into space but uh the real showstopper was <clears throat> despite the fact that it was only big enough to uh just fit a small person in um it was too big to get through some of the restricted areas in the cave. So uh, it was back to square one. And there were really you know, probably dozens of other plans that, that people had. Um, you know, there was this weird thing where they're having this big, long length of uh, plastic tubing that we were going to have to drag in through the cave and then they'd pump all the water out of it and the boys could crawl out. Um, that was never going to work. Um, trying to drill down and uh, all all sorts of things. But, uh, um, yeah, they just fell away one by one. And uh, to our great concern, it was just left to us as the only chance. And and what you, your plans for that, uh, when did it strike you guys to get guys to go to sleep, uh, to settle them down so you could take them under the water? When did that uh, get hatched? Oh, really, within the last 24 hours before the rescue started. Um, it had been mentioned before that because we were very worried that <clears throat> these uh, these boys are likely to panic. You know, we were told that they didn't even know how to swim. <clears throat> and um, so to take these, these non-swimming kids and, and turn them into cave divers, uh, which is, you know, a lot of people don't really like the idea too much of cave diving. It doesn't... Uh, I, I, got to admit it's a bit of a niche appeal and if they panicked underwater and started thrashing around then they were going to uh, kill themselves for sure so the only way that we could see to get around that was to anaesthetize them underwater um, but that's pretty radical stuff you don't uh, you don't knock people out and then stick their heads underwater for three hours um, that's that's a, a little bit dodgy so uh, when I first heard about it, I thought it was the most stupid idea I'd ever heard of in my life. But uh, eventually we decided that it probably was the safest way. And uh, so we, we pressed on with that one and uh, we'll, we did get away with it. Craig, the human body is very resilient uh, and very durable, but what sort of shape were the kids in after the road, day nine or 10 or, or 15 when you got to them? Yeah, they, they were actually uh, they were actually in pretty good shape. I was I was quite impressed, um, and I mean, they were complaining about the cold, having been in there for so long. And it, of course, it's uh, it's hundred percent humidity in there. So once you get get uh, wet, you never get dry again. Um, and they'd lost some weight after being starving for nine days, and they, they were just skinny little kids anyway. Um, 
little Thai kids. But uh, apart from that, you know, they were pretty healthy. There was a couple of little infections. Some of them had a bit of a cough and that sort of thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, apart from that and, and mentally as well, I mean, they were strong, these kids. They were, they were tough kids. And uh, so, you know, they were in a situation with their backs to the wall. They wanted to survive. So they were going to do whatever was required. So it was one at a time, was it? And uh, as you went with a with a rope or something to guide you? Yeah, that's right. So there was a guideline laid through the cave, and we always do that in cave diving because you might have to come out with no visibility. So you always want a, a guideline um, in the, the worst possible scenario. And luckily at this stage, before we uh, got there, the guys had put in this strong rope through the cave. So you could actually drag yourself through the cave almost by this rope, which was uh, good. That added a lot of safety. So then with, when each of the boys came out, uh, as you say, it was just one at a time. There was uh, a single diver with each of them. And this diver would just swim out with one hand on the, the rope to guide himself and the other hand on the, on the boy uh, to push him through the water. And it wasn't too different. You know, when we're on our long-range cave diving expeditions, we're quite used to moving equipment through the water. Um, so it wasn't too different to that, other than you just had to uh, try and make sure that this boy was still breathing and okay. Craig, uh, the circumstance surrounding the the loss, unfortunately, it was a great, it was a great success story, but uh, there was a downside obviously with the loss of the toe seal. What were the circumstances surrounding that? Well, I don't know exactly. Um, we were actually greeted with that news when we landed on the ground in, in northern Thailand. It happened just a few hours before. And I assume that he either ran out of breathing gas in the cave or became disorientated and lost in there. Um, I'm, I'm not really sure of those circumstances, but I think the real lesson we can draw from it is that Despite being a very good diver, he was not a cave diver. Um, you know, these Navy SEALs, they do uh, assault dives, you know, combat dives and uh, underwater ordnance disposal, all that sort of thing. So there's no doubt he can handle himself underwater. But cave diving's a little bit different to that. If you uh, if something goes wrong, you can't really just press the up button and go back to the surface and breathe air. Um, you've got to be able to sort yourself out. And uh, it takes a lot of... Lot of training and, and even more practice and experience to get to that stage. Um, so you know, there's a lot of people over the years that have been great divers in open water and they've just decided to have a bit of a, a crack at cave diving and it's uh, it's come un- they've come unstuck because of that. So, look, it's, uh, you know, I really like it, but if you, if you guys, Sam and Leon, if you decide that cave diving might be something you'd like to try, I, I do recommend that you get out there and get the training first. Can we think about that? <laughs> <laughs> Craig, uh, <laughs> I dare say you and Richard would be treated like royalty in Thailand any time you wish to uh, travel. Uh, yes, uh, <clears throat> you know, I don't speak Thai, but I get the very clear message that they seem to be quite pleased with us. And uh, we've, we've had some pretty good experiences over there. Um, in one trip in particular, we went back and, the, uh, well, both the Thai government and the Australian government got hold of this and it all turned out to be bigger than Ben-Hur. But uh, everybody was very nice to us, so we quite enjoyed it. Uh, did the king give, him, uh, give you personally uh, the award that 
was made available to you? Uh, no, no, nobody gets to meet the king. Um, that's uh, his, well, he doesn't even live in Thailand. Actually, he lives in Germany most of the time. But um, we had his personal representative, whom I took to be some sort of admiral or something, because he was dressed up in this nice naval dress uniform. He'd be a and, vice, cor- uh, he- vice corporal. Uh, <laughs> um, anyway, he gave us some uh, some very nice gifts and expressed their gratitude. Uh, we did get to meet the the prime minister on a couple of occasions and the foreign minister and all of that. So uh, definitely getting used to mixing it with the knobs. And the Australians, of course, rightfully gave you the 2019 Joint uh, Australia of the Year awards. Tell me, uh, I got very limited knowledge on cave diving, but I don't I do know friends of mine go to Mangambia, which I mentioned to you, and you were heading to the Nullarbor. You were heading to the Nullarbor to cave dive before you got this SOS from Thailand. Tell me about Australia's... Uh, what provision have we got for cave diving and what and what's it like? Are we up there with uh, the ability to cave dive in Australia? We, we absolutely are. We've got some world-class caves here, particularly out in the Nullarbor. Um, in fact, there's one cave out there, uh, Cocklebitty Cave, that uh, I've, I've spent quite a bit of time in. Um, at one stage, that was the world's longest cave dive back in the 80s. Uh, it's since been surpassed a few times, but it's still absolutely magnificent spot to, to be. And a lot of people come around the world, from around the world to dive that and go away thinking that's one of the best dives they've ever done. So we've been very fortunate here. Um, Mount Gambier, I've spent quite a bit of time over there as well uh that's that's sort of the headquarters of cave diving in australia really where it all began um these days i've I've worked over all those places fairly well so it's a bit more of a social occasion for me when i go there but still have a a really good time um but because cave diving is so active in australia then there's not that much there's still some exploration to do but really, for, for our team, most of the exploration we're doing is overseas now. You're telling me you're going to China next. Is a spot in China you've located, I dare say? Uh, yes, yeah. We've got uh, China coming up. Before that, we've got uh, Spain. So we'll be heading over to a, a big, ca- long cave over there where I haven't been before. Um, so I'm very excited about that. That's just in a few weeks. So I'm spending all my spare time getting ready for that one. Tell me... Uh, Cave diving. Are you married? Uh, well, not not name on the dotted line, but uh, okay. I, I think it would be uh, yeah <laughs> no, no. together well, long enough that you could pretty much say that. Okay. Does your partner does your partner cave dive? Uh, no, no, not not in a fit. Um, she uh, she's done a little bit of cave. Uh, sorry, a little bit of open water diving, Heather, um, but sort of moved on to other things. And uh, yeah, you've you've got to. Uh, what I was alluding to, a particular personality type, I suppose, it doesn't doesn't appeal to everyone. So, um, just got to have a bit of an attraction towards the extremes to get involved in it. You're on Sport and Life with Sam Kikovic and Leo Wigan. Our guest is Craig Challen. The uh, uh, he's a vet, and he's uh, of course one of our now famous uh, cave divers who rescued those boys in Thailand. Sam, what a story! You know, even now I'd still pinch myself. At the remarkable uh, of your remarkable feet, tell me uh, what I was alluding to. I was being a bit facetious. There was not too many women I would imagine would be attracted to a cave diver. 
Uh, and I'm not <laughs> with the greatest degree of respect. I'm going to say something sort of, let's go Sunday afternoon we, instead of going for lunch and a, and a quiet glass of Chardonnay. Hmm. No, we'll go cave diving today. Wow. And yeah, it, yeah. Look, the, the women aren't well represented, but I've, I've got to say, in, in all fairness, that I have dived with a few, uh, few very good women cave divers over the years, and uh, they've they've been pretty hardcore. Um, so uh, yeah, they're, they're tough little numbers, and uh, some of them I wouldn't really want to pick a fight with. I think they'd uh, they'd be a bit tougher than me. Now, how about the five star hotel that you stay at when you go cave diving in the Nullarbor? That uh, tell us about that. The swimming pools, the diving board, the uh, the cocktail bar. Yeah, not not quite. In fact, it has been one of our long-term projects to try and get a resort organised out there for ourselves, and uh, so us and our friends have got somewhere to stay. But uh, happily, I'm not too old to sleep on the ground yet, so we just take the swag. It's all, all uh-huh. camping out. And uh, one of the developments over the years has been that we do get uh, phone signal and comms out there. I used to always enjoy... Uh, just being away from it all and uh, not having any communications while we're out there. And then you, you find out what's happened in the world when you come back again. But uh, sadly, that doesn't happen anymore. So we can all just check our emails and uh, see what's going on. And uh, you're never too far away from civilization these days. And Leon, so when isn't, you're underground, of course. And Leon, isn't it refreshing in this day of where Australia's <laughs> broadly perceived as a beacon of excess and where. Uh, you know, over-entitled that we've still got this resilience and determination of our DNA in the form of cave divers. And finally, just for me, uh, Craig, I would imagine uh, the cave divers, whilst it's a specific, a very, very, a very uh, professional operation, do you have your own uh, association of cave divers and do you meet regularly or...? Uh, yes, we do. So the, the uh, cave divers association of australia is pretty strong organization numbers have been pretty stable uh, over the years i think there's uh, there's about 700 members or so and not all of them are actively diving but uh, they've all got an interest um but then there's other organizations around the world as well um every country that's involved has its own sort of group um but uh yeah pretty strong we'll uh, we'll keep up with each other and and know what's going on and finally, I said finally, but this is the ultimate from me. Did you ever have a close shave? Was there ever a situation in your uh, cave diving whereby, you know, you've got out of a very, very tight posse? Oh, look, uh, I've had a, a few that seemed like a pretty big deal at, at the time. A um, couple of times when I've been uh, been a bit stuck. And there was one time where I was absolutely convinced I was going to run out of gas and didn't think I was going to make it back home. But uh, you've just got to um, take stock, count backwards from 10, have a cool head and, and sort yourself out and solve your problem because nobody's coming to help you. And you know, as you get older and, and get a bit more experience, you become harder to kill. Uh, so... Uh, yeah, perhaps I am invincible. I don't know, but 100% success rate so far. Sam's got another last no, this question is the last, for you. This is the ultimate. This is his last, last, last question. What's your favourite Thai dish? Oh, favourite Thai dish. Well, I'm a bit, uh, I, I like it all, really. I haven't had one that I don't like, but the, the pad thai, that's a good old standard favourite, isn't it? <laughs> now, how about, now, I understand there's a couple of books out, but 
Is there any interest in the documentary makers from either here or Hollywood or because there's a huge story, of course. Yeah, there's there's been a few. So there's been a, a feature movie which came out last year. Um, there's a, a Netflix series, and then a whole whole swag of uh, documentaries. One from National Geographic and and a few others. I, I can't keep track of them all, and uh, I haven't really watched them. But it doesn't matter because I know what happens. <laughs> Very understated, Craig. I'm telling you. Uh... Uh, but it was absolutely riveting. The day, as I said, alluded to earlier, you could hear a pin drop. It was so riveting. And uh, Craig, I've got to tell you, you're a very unique and very special person. And, uh, you know, you're a great Australian and you must be immensely proud of what you didn't achieve. And uh, let me tell you, there's 12 people out there in Thailand <laughs> strolling the streets of uh, Bangkok or wherever they are that are eternally grateful for your feats and you and your great mate, Richard. Uh, yes, well, thanks very much, Sam. It's, uh, it was certainly a bit of a, an odd development that I didn't see coming, but uh, I, I think I was, you know, I just consider myself very fortunate that I was there with a particular set of skills and experience and in the right place at the right time that I was able to help. It's been a great privilege for me. Good on you, Craig. Uh, you reckon you were fortunate? How about those kids? They were very lucky too. Oh, oh, have you yeah, so uh, our guest has been Craig Chalden. It's been a great pleasure having you, Craig, and thanks for joining us on Sport and Life. <laughs>